You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Yeah, here we go again. It's uh, it's Thursday today, and um, I'm sorry that I didn't get any more podcasts out this week. It was a crazy week. I had a lot of people had to reschedule. Um, either they weren't able to uh, make it back from their vacation or time, or they had a family emergency, so forth and so on. But at least I got one podcast this week, and that's better than nothing. And uh, we got a pretty cool podcast today. Uh, we're going to be talking with a guy named Frank Cox. And Frank uh, lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And he's going to talk to us about three products that uh, over the past couple years he has purchased and uh, has taken a liking to. Let's see, the first one is Firefly. It uh, It's a little device you bring up into the tree with you and you, I don't know, whatever it is, it tells what direction the wind is blowing. Uh, Ramcat broadheads and uh, the extinguisher grunt tube. So those are the three products that uh, we're going to be reviewing today in today's podcast. Let's see. Fourth of July weekend happened this past weekend. Uh, I did not go sit down by a river and watch it go by. I, however, just hung out with the fam, watched some fireworks, went to a couple barbecues, uh, did a whole bunch of cool things with some cool people, and uh, got to spend time with the family, and that's something that uh, is awesome. And uh, I'm going to say this next part in a whisper, and even better yet, I was able to go out and set three more trail cameras on a piece of uh, new hunting property that I only hunted once last year. So uh, we're going to check those hopefully in a couple days and uh just to make sure the cameras are on the up and up and uh they're my old cameras so i gotta put a little bit more faith in them than the new exodus ones i got but uh but yeah we'll see what's on those trail cameras and i'll be sure to share that on uh all those pictures and if there are any decent sized bucks on the uh, nine finger chronicles uh social media whether it's on instagram twitter facebook uh, and uh, make sure you guys are checking out the ninefingerchronicles.com or it would be ninefingerchronicles.com, my website. Uh, that's where the, the blog is hosted and the podcast is hosted. Other than that, uh, we got a, got this podcast that we got to 
kick uh, kick in. It's a fairly long one, and then with this uh, this next little segment for two percent for conservation that uh, that you're going to be hearing, uh, I'm going to cut the intro short, and uh, I'm going to let you listen to a short conversation I had with Jeff Spazito of Two Percent for Conservation. What Two Percent for Conservation is all about, and how you can get involved. Yeah, Dan, 2% for Conservation is a, a newly formed nonprofit that we just launched in April with the, the goal of helping conservation groups raise more money and, and get more volunteers so they can be more successful at their mission work. So essentially, long story short, what we do is we certify businesses and build a network of businesses and individuals who are committed to giving 1% of their time, which is roughly 21 hours based on a 2,000-hour work year, and then 1% of their money back to conservation causes. So if you were to see a 2% for conservation logo on any company's product, you can be assured that that company gives back 1% of every sale to a conservation group. And then beyond that, they also volunteer 21 hours throughout their employees to, uh, to conservation causes. Okay. And then uh, can you name some companies that are, have already started this for, you know, yeah, sure. So we uh, so we started with uh, Sitka Gears, the the first company, and they are the kind of founding company that came in before before we even existed. Got behind the idea, saw the value in it, and the opportunity to really kind of build a network of other businesses and and make an impact on conservation. Since uh, since April is really when we've been starting to uh, reach out to businesses to get people involved and and to get new businesses signed up. We, uh, we've had some great conversations. We now have six other new businesses who have committed to coming on board. We haven't announced those businesses yet as we're working through the, the kind of PR plan with them. Uh, but we have another clothing company that's going to come on with Sitka. We have uh, a couple other uh, technology companies, some hard goods companies, and, uh, and we're excited to announce those hopefully in the coming weeks here uh, who they are. Okay, awesome. Now, what a and it's not just companies too. In, individuals can you know can pledge their time and their their dollar amount too. What's the difference between the you know the companies and an individual? Let's say like myself. Sure. Yeah. So that's a great question. And, and yes, you're right that there's a there's an opportunity for any individual to become a certified what we are calling a certified true conservationist as well. Where, where if you do the meet the same criteria as an individual, give back 1% of your income and, and volunteer roughly 1% of your time, we believe that's worthy of recognition and that's going to make an impact on conservation groups. That's going above and beyond. So, so similar you, in that you can come through, uh, through our process on our website, which is fishandwildlife.org, and, and get certified. And, and individuals are so important to this network and building this because – uh, we need the businesses to give back to to really hit that scale uh, of a high dollar value of incremental dollars going to conservation. But it's uh, if individuals aren't purchasing products from companies who give back, then those companies aren't giving back that one percent of sales. So it kind of comes full circle. We need we need everybody to be involved. We need individuals to be giving back uh, their time and their money and volunteering. We need them to be demanding that the businesses and the brands that they love and that they purchase are giving back as well. Uh, and that's really when we're going to see the, the impact to conservation. Perfect. Now, when people think about donating their time to conservation, 
a lot of people think that you have to go out and do something big like rent a bulldozer and create like <laughs> wild, you know, a waterfowl wildlife habitat. Let us tell us if, if that is the case or if there's something on a smaller scale that individuals can do to meet that, uh, those hours, the time hours as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's, that's a great question as well. Since we launched in April, we've had quite a few, uh, people email saying, what can I do? I live in an area where, where I don't know how to get involved. And, and this is, uh, I think this is an opportunity where we can really help conservation groups reach out and get volunteers. But, but to answer your question, yeah, if you have the capability to do a large scale project like that and the expertise and know how that's great, but that's not at all necessary to make an impact. It's as simple as, you know, an, an example of what I do, how I get my, my hours is I volunteer for a local mule deer foundation committee here in, in Montana. And, and, uh, we plan a banquet, an annual banquet every year. I sell, uh, raffle tickets at the banquet. Uh, and it's as simple as that being involved at that level is, is crucial to helping conservation groups raise money that they need to do their mission work. Um, but if you, if you really do get interested and you go look on, you know, QDMA's website or Mule Deer Foundation or the Elk Foundation or Ducks Unlimited, I think you'll be surprised at the types of opportunities to volunteer that you see. A lot, most of these groups have, you know, regional rendezvous where, where it's a big work party and they get out and they go remove fence or they do, you know, some habitat repair. And, and, uh, and that's an awesome way to be involved too. And it's a great way to meet, uh, to meet people in your community that are like-minded, passionate hunters and conservationists as well. So, so the opportunities, I think there's, there's a lot more opportunities to volunteer and be involved with conservation than people might first realize when they, when they start thinking about, shoot, what can I do? And then lastly, um, you've already mentioned fishandwildlife.org is your guys's website, but where else can, uh, listeners go to find out more information about 2% for conservation? So, uh, fishandwildlife.org is, is definitely our, uh, the best spot to get as much information as you can find to learn about who we are, what we're doing, how it works. Uh, also follow us on, on social media, um, Facebook and Instagram, 2% for conservation, Twitter, uh, to stay in tune with, with things as they evolve. As we, uh, sign on new business members, we will announce them through our social channels. So, so definitely pay attention there because we want to we want you guys to know about who those businesses are that are committed to giving back. Uh, and then outside of that, as, as we bring on new businesses, look for that logo on packaging, on hang tags, in, in other brands' marketing collateral to know that they do give back and they are certified to give back 1% of their sales and, and volunteer in 1% of their time. So make sure you guys at least go and visit their website to find out more information. That is fishandwildlife.org. Um, they're, they're going to be doing great things, and uh, they're going to be doing great things with the companies that we as hunters use and individuals like ourselves because we are – conservation hunters are conservation and it takes a little bit more than just our license sales our tag sales and all that stuff you know we need to do more and that starts with you and me and the companies that we buy products from so make sure you guys get involved there's your outlet, 2% for conservation. So I think it's time now we can go ahead and get into the podcast with Frank Cox as he reviews some products for us. All right. On the phone with me this evening is Frank Cox. How's it going today, Frank? 
It's going well, Dan. How about yourself? I can't complain. Can't complain. Winding down the day, just uh, recording a podcast uh, with you. And uh, today, we are going to be uh, doing a product review from a couple products that you reached out to me and wanted to cover. But before we get into the actual product reviews that uh, that uh, we're going to do today, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, what you do for a living, where you live, all that good stuff. All right. I am 31. I reside in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So that's western Pennsylvania. Um, I am an inspector for new construction projects. So basically grown man babysitter um most of the days and uh yeah and that's about it nice nice so uh in how far do you live actually in pittsburgh or are you out in the suburbs or what's your deal there um yeah it's a suburb of pittsburgh um i'm about 30 minutes north of the city so i actually work uh pretty much in in the city but yeah, kind of how Pittsburgh's laid out. Um, it's uh, not a lot of people live like in in the downtown area. It, it's mostly all suburbs, so pretty much everybody um, lives in some type of suburb. So uh, yeah, I'm about 30 minutes north. I actually live on uh, 65 acres, so we have a little bit of land to ourselves, and it's not too far to the city. So it's kind of a you know best of both worlds. So you so you live. You live kind of in a suburb, but you have 65 acres that you're able to hunt. Is that, uh, are you getting a lot of urban deer in that area? Like I know that, uh, for example, Illinois, they have suburbs and every once in a while you'll run into like a, a forestry preserve and some of them you can hunt, some of them you can't. And on these forestry preserves, there can grow some absolute giants because they're unhuntable. Do you have a, a, um, a situation like that where you, where you live? Yeah, um, for a lot of people that aren't familiar with Western Pennsylvania hunting, um, especially around the Pittsburgh area, um, it's a lot of um, it's a lot of urban environments, um, a lot of uh, housing plans, stuff like that, small tracts of woods. Where now, where I live at, it's it's not what you would consider rural, um, coming from Iowa, but uh, kind of a, it's the houses are spread out some people have you know little one acre two acre little plots of plots of land they're mostly just large yards and those are kind of split up by woods um there are some farms uh they're kind of few and far between where we're at um the urban development has kind of taken over it's spread out to the suburbs to the point where we're losing a lot of um, once huntable land so hunting huntable land here is a premium so it's if i had to best describe it um the hunting in western pennsylvania i would say it's it's uh basically urban um so yeah there are there are some areas where uh we have like parks and stuff you have to apply for a special permit and you can hunt and you know there are some good deer there because they just don't get hunted um like everywhere else and you know um michigan and pennsylvania are the are the two big ones. I mean, you can't go in any little track of woods here and not find a tree stand. So it's, um, it's, it's pretty well covered up in hunters. So, uh, pretty much everywhere you go, you're going to run into somebody, but we got a, kind of got lucky where we live at. It was a, a friend of the family. They, they had, uh, had some land and they had a house for rent and we moved in and 
have a little bit of land to hunt that's more than two or three acres like all my other spots are right right so on this uh on this this 65 acres that you uh that you have to hunt are you i mean are the deer staying on that property or are they traveling through i mean with 65 acres i can see how it would be um, you'd you'd be able to at least hold some deer, especially if all the surrounding properties are have houses on them. Yeah, um, we don't have really any agriculture to speak of around the area. Um, the 65 acres used to be a horse farm, um, and then it, it kind of got a couple cabins put on it and and stuff. So it's not a, a working farm or anything anymore. Um, there's really minimal tillable land. We've uh, we're actually doing a food plot. Um, I think we're going to go with uh, some from Whitetail Institute this year. We're going to plant that next month. Um, uh, it's going to be just about a half acre. But, um, yeah, we have we have deer that come. It's kind of a mixture of both. Uh, we have some that stay on the property, not exclusively on the property, but between our property and maybe one, two of the other uh, property owners around there. They they stay generally in that area. Uh, there's, there's not, like I said, there's no ag, so they're pretty much just eating woody browse. So they do travel, you know, on and off the property to go, you know, where the food's at. Um, so I would say from the trail cameras from the past two years that I've ran, uh, we do have a lot of, a lot of bucks that return and, you know, a lot of the, the same doe and stuff like that. So I wouldn't say that it, it holds them all year, but there are definitely a few that it, it's certainly within their home range. Good deal. So, how was your how was your 2015 hunting season? Uh, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too great. It could have been better. Um, I passed on what would have been you know probably a pretty good uh, PA buck the first I don't know 15 minutes I was in the stand on opening morning. So that was a morning hunt uh, in September. Um, but it just I didn't have the ideal shot and and I couldn't really tell which buck it was. So uh, I figured well you know it's you know, first 20 minutes of the opening day, I'm sure, you know, I figured there'd be more time for that, but you know, it, it kind of played out. It was a tough season. The weather was really bad. I mean, we were hunting on Thanksgiving and t-shirts. Oh, so, man. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's just, it was really hot and the, the, the rut was all weird. And, um, a lot of the bucks that, you know, w- you know, we thought were going to be around just kind of weren't around, but, um, you know, we killed a couple deer, you know, a couple doe and, um, you know, had some pretty good sightings or, you know, and kind of got some information for next year, but, um, I don't know. I, I, I feel a little bit more confident about, uh, this year coming up just from, um, a couple of the new spots that I've picked up and, um, you know, what I've, what I've seen already so far that's, that's moving around. So I think, you know, with any luck, we'll, we'll, we'll get it done this year. Well, let me be the first to wish you good luck on that, uh, that endeavor that you're going to be taking there. Um, I've never experienced that kind of close proximity hunting that, you know, the Michigans of the world and the pits and on the, <laughs> and the PAs of the world had to offer. But, uh, I, I do, I do share property with some guys and I know there's times where that gets kind of, kind of frustrating and you want to jump out of your tree stand. Oh, but, uh, you, you have no idea. Right. I mean, it's, it's here, you know, you go to, you go to set your tree stand up in a spot and then, you you know, you walk past two other ones or, you know, um, like for instance, this year, uh, a lot of our hunting is done in very small tracts of land that are basically 
in between houses or, you know, I mean, obviously they're, you know, you're, you're allowed to hunt there, you know, we're all, we're legal, but, uh, but they're, they're close, you know, it's close proximity. I mean, you can hear dogs barking, the kids are playing, you could see cars going by and, and, and there's big deer there, but because, you know, nobody hunts them or they feel safe and they're away from all the rifle hunters because the rifle hunters can't hunt them. So, and, so that's good for us, but it's a whole different dynamic than like when I, when I go hunt a farm, it's like, oh my God, this is great. Like there's not um, a kid on his big wheel going down the road uh, every, you know, 10 minutes. So it's, it's, it's definitely a different type of hunting and it, and it definitely, you have to kind of figure it out. It's a whole new ball game to try to figure it out because those deer use that terrain differently. They basically use backyards as their food sources because people, maybe they got a bird feeder there. Or maybe they have, um, you know, flowers or something like that, that they're, that they're going to eat. So you kind of have to, use the same principles that we use on a farm, but just kind of adapt it to an urban environment and, and then try to get away from the other millions of hunters that are here. So it's, it's a challenge, but it makes it worth it whenever, when it comes together. Yeah, man. I, uh, to all the guys out there who hunt in those high pressured, uh, areas, I say kudos to you. So, all right, but we're, this is a, this is a product review podcast. And uh, you sent me an email and said, "Hey, I want to I want to talk about a couple products that uh, I've used in the past." And uh, the three that we're that we're going to talk about today is the Firefly Wind Detector, uh, the Ramcat Broadheads, and we'll get more uh, specific on which one, and then the Extinguisher Game Call, and that's a grunt tube, right? That is correct. All right, all right. So we'll just start at the top of the list, and let's talk a little bit about the Firefly. I have seen it on the you know the television shows. I've never actually used one uh, or seen one up close. So why don't you, I guess, describe it, what it is, and what it's supposed to do? Okay. Well, I'll preface that by saying um, I'm kind of a gear nut. Um, as you know, I guess you guys are too, Yep. but, um, it, it, it was one of the deals I was working down near Cabela's. So that was like every lunch break, you know, I just happened to, you know, go in there and kill some time and, and browse around and, you know, see what they had. And, and, uh, I came across this thing and, you know, I didn't really, I'm like you, I mean, I'd seen it, but I, I've never looked at it and never held it. I didn't really, you know, I don't know if it was a gimmick, if it worked or not, but, I figured I'd, I'd give it a try. So um, essentially what it does is instead of using your, uh, you know, your wind checker with maybe using a cotton ball or using uh, the powder or whatever, um, you just pull this thing out and it has LED lights, which uh, are all on top of it. And you just press the button and then it um, basically just lights up and tells you um, whichever, you know, whichever way the LEDs are facing that light up that's giving you your exact wind direction. And it'll also tell you if the wind's swirling one way, then, you know, the predominant wind direction. So if you, you know, if you have one that's swirling, you know, a wind that's swirling, maybe it's swirling one way, but it's, but it's, you know, predominantly blowing one direction, it'll give you both of those readings. So um, it, it's actually worked pretty well for me, I thought. So did that, uh, so it, when those lights come on, uh, it tells you what direction the wind is coming from. But let's say there's maybe a crosswind one way or the other and, and a couple more of those sensors uh, light up. What about um, uh, like d does the does it the light 
is it brighter on the the more predominant wind and uh, lighter, or does it flicker, or how does it work like that? Yeah, yeah, it blinks. So what you do is whenever you when you turn it on, when you press the the button on the side, they'll all light up, and then they'll start lighting up and they'll start blinking. So say they're blinking to the east, and they'll blink, and then a couple maybe a couple more will blink, you know, behind it. So you're knowing that you know that it's blowing that direction, and then then the LEDs will light up solid. And then that's giving you your exact wind direction. And out here where I hunt at, it's to find a flat piece of ground is like, you know, you better get on it because there's not a whole lot of it available. I mean, pretty much everywhere we hunt's a hillside, no matter where you go. So you're going to get swirling winds. So what I wanted it for was because your wind checker, you know, with, um, you know, with the powder or something, that's good. Um, They work, but it only, it's not telling you, really which way the wind's swirling because it dissipates so quickly so what i like about it is whenever you first light it up it will tell you if it's swirling one way um and then and then it will also tell you the way that you know the the stiffest way the wind's blowing i guess that'd be the best way to describe it so you know which which way it's going so does this thing use batteries then yeah it just takes uh i think it's uh two yeah two double a's Okay. And um and it's really light. I mean, it's small and I I don't like taking a lot of stuff in the woods with me. And uh, and a lot of times a lot of the spots that I hunt um I'm not far well, especially if I hunt my property. I mean, I live on it, so I don't need to take um all kinds of gear in the woods with me. I'm only, you know, a short walk away from whatever I need. So the less stuff I can take in the woods the better. So it was kind of one of those things where it was it was really small. They they say it only weighs three ounces, and I believe it. It it might even feels like it weighs less than that. It it takes up hardly any room, and um, so I figured you know if if I'm packing light, that's one of the things that I can take that I I'm actually going to use, and not something that I would just you know kind of like leave in the truck or whatever. Right now. What's the story with any like moisture or condensation? I mean, obviously, it's an electronic device, so those things are bad. Uh, did have, do you have any experience with it getting wet, like or during a rain or anything like that? Um, yeah, I've got it wet. Um, I've had it out in the rain. Um, I've left it in, you know, a wet backpack or whatever whenever it was drying out, and I haven't any problems with it. And according to uh, the people that make it, you know, they're saying that it is it is in fact waterproof. So I have no reason to believe that it, you know, that claim is, isn't true because it, you know, like I said, it's gotten wet and I've used it for a year. Uh, the battery life is really good on it for, it, it depends on how much you're checking, checking the wind, obviously. But, um, you know, I use it all the time. So, and I'm still on the same, you know, set, set of batteries for the whole season. So, and you, you bought know, it um, this year, right? Uh, yeah, this past season. Yeah, I bought it kind of near the beginning of the season. And another thing that I like about it is the fact that when you're in your tree stand and it's early in the morning and it's still dark out, you can pull that thing out and check your wind direction. And, you know, you're going to be able to see the LEDs, whereas if you used some other type of wind checking, you know what I mean? You you probably wouldn't be able to, you know, tell because it obviously it'd be dark. Okay. Um, now we all know that terrain features play a lot of, you know, a big role in, in the way wind moves and whatnot. So do you still take, uh, like additional wind checkers with you to drop out of the tree to see what, maybe what the wind direction is doing further down, you know, further down the stream? Uh, and the reason I say that is because I, in the past, 
I have tree stands that I've set up on the first couple sets and, you know, thinking that it's a good spot. But what the, the wind is doing is it's because of the, the way the land works, it's, it's swirling the wind downwind of me and then bringing it back maybe up towards my direction or straight down to a, a different part where I don't, you know, you don't get to see that with that product is, are you still taking other things in the tree with you to, to check the wind further downwind of you? Yeah, I'll still take, I'll still take, um, an, you know, additional wind checker or something like, um, you know, even if it's just the powder, what I, what I'll do too, is I'll also on my way to the stand, I'll try to, to check it and see what it's doing. Um, you know, just so I can get an idea of, of what it's doing. If it's swirling down further, like you said, if it's, if it's, if it's blowing back and then swirling back and it's coming in behind me and then, you know, I expect a deer to come from that way. That's obviously not good. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I check the wind with that. I'm not using that solely, um, as my only source of, you know, checking the wind or anything, but, um, I felt that it was, it was accurate enough that, it would uh it would give me a really good indication as to what was going on right right where I was at and then I'm also using you know I'm looking at weather you know I got apps like the normal apps that everybody else has and you know scout look and and all that kind of stuff to to see what's going on and then and then checking it to you know to and from the tree stand during my entry and exit routes I'm I'm checking to see what it's doing there so I mean I I try to plan those out pretty good so that you know um if the wind's blowing a certain way, then I'm just going to have to access it from a, you know, a different direction too. How accurate is it? I mean, does your, does the wind direction from the firefly match the wind direction of, let's say the cotton ball or, or the powder that you're dropping out of the stand? Yeah, it absolutely does. And, uh, another reason why I got it is because, um, sometimes your your apps like your scout look or any of the, any of those type of apps that you use and they have the little scent cone feature and stuff like that i'll also check it with that to make sure that those are both the same as well so that there's really no discrepancy and if there was a discrepancy then i would know okay either one one of these two things is is messed up because this is what i'm seeing here so um you know you could just you know look at the leaves on the trees or or use your uh use your powder or i'd like to take some cotton balls and kind of you know, tear those up and then, and then watch, you know, watch what they do too. And, and so far it's, it's been really accurate. They say it's so accurate. Well, I've tried it, but you could actually be inside your house and, you know, where obviously there, you would think there would be no wind. Um, it'll actually work in inside indoors and tell you, you know, which way the wind's going in there. That's how sensitive it is. Drafts like a draft yeah like just yeah just a draft or if you had a fan on in another room just how it's coming through the house or whatever it's it's actually it, it's very sensitive for for what it is and how much it costs it's actually a pretty high-tech piece of equipment what does it cost um well i got it i believe i got it at the bargain bin at um at cabela's so i think i paid like 30 bucks for it or something like that. But they, uh, they're selling them for, for what I saw was like 50 bucks, like four, anywhere from 45 to 50, I guess, depending on, um, you know, where you get it online or, or at a store. Okay. And I guess I never, I should have asked you this right off the bat, but was this a purchase? Was this a purchase that you were just kind of a, a random buy because you were walking through and decided, Hey, let's give it a try. Or did you do any research on it before you purchased it? 
No, I hadn't done any research on it, but like I said, I'm always willing to uh, give something a go and, um, you know, see if it works or not. Um, I'm not afraid to spend a few dollars to, I mean, if it's something that's just completely outrageous that, you know, it's not worth, you know, to spend any money on that. I'm not obviously not going to do that, but, um, uh, it had been something I've heard about, but I didn't really look into. Um, and I was just there and I was like, well, I'm going to give this thing a shot because, um, if they, if it's as accurate as, you know, they say it is, um, it's like, I don't see how you could go wrong with it other than the fact that I could have took it out of the box and it could have completely not worked or something. Right. Right. And did, uh, so it worked for you just fine. Um, did you have any kind of technical difficulties with working it right off the bat? Is it pretty self-explanatory? Um, yeah, you take the cap off and you press the button and that's it. All right. I mean, it's, it's about the easiest thing, you know, you could pretty much use, I, I, I would say there's really no way to, to, um, to screw up using it. And it actually has a little compass that's in the middle of it and in, in the middle of all the LEDs. So it, um, you know, if you were ever, you didn't know which way was east or west or wherever you were at it, it would give you that direction as well. So, so you know where the LEDs are lighting up, which direction that actually is. So, I mean, in case maybe you got turned around or you're hunting a new spot and you weren't really sure. Um, so that, that's a nice feature too. Nice. Nice. Well, perfect. So in, in regards to the firefly, would you recommend this to other hunters? Yeah, I would. Um, I wouldn't say that it's, I have some buddies that are just like, oh, what do you need all that extra stuff for, you know, or, or whatever. But I think that if you were, if you're serious about, you know, your wind and, and your scent and stuff like that, um, I, I think it's, I think it's worth it because it's going to, it's going to give you your absolute wind direction. And it's also going to tell you which way the wind's swirling, um, right where you're at. So if, if you want to be, you know, you know, uh, if you're, that's something you're really concerned about, um, I think that's a product that, you know, you would get some good use out of. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. I've, like I said, I've, I've never seen that, but, uh, it's something that I'll, uh, I'll definitely look, look into, uh, at, you know, after this, after this podcast, cause I, for, until you brought it up, I completely forgot about it cause I'd seen it on the shows and I'd be like, what's, what's that thing? Is it necessary? But, you know, <laughs> if a fellow hunter is saying, you know, check it out, you got to check it out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not the cheapest piece of, I know some people are, are uh, really price, you know, price conscious and, and I am too, to an extent. Um, but I figured for, for what I got it for, um, I would give it a shot and it ended up working out and, um, I take it in the woods with me every time I go. Um, I'll even check, you know, when I leave the house, I'll check the wind direction with that. And, uh, the LEDs were like a big, a big selling point for me. Cause I could see what the wind's doing in the dark before I even, um, have access to anything else that you would need light for. Um, so that, that was a big bonus for me too. Perfect. Perfect. Well, let's move on to the next one. Ramcat broadheads. Now to all the listeners out there, I recently, I shouldn't say recently, it's been, it's been a little while, I guess I did the, uh, a podcast with uh ramcat so after this podcast why don't you go over you know find the ramcat broadheads uh podcast that i did and uh give that a listen as well so ramcat broadheads um you know there's hundreds of broadheads on the market uh what made you 
decide to go with a Ram cab broadhead? Okay. Um, the guy that actually owns Ram cab broadheads is local to the Pittsburgh area. Okay. So I had, had heard about it and I had met him at uh, one of our outdoor shows that we had and he had a booth there and, um, you know, and I just talked to him and he, he was a great guy. Um, you know, and I talked to him for oh, probably an hour and, um, you know, he just, you know, talked about the design and how well they flew and, and all that stuff. And basically what I was looking for was I didn't want to shoot an expandable anymore. And I wanted a fixed blade broadhead and I wanted something that flew well. Um, and that, that's, you know, that's Ramcat's um, big deal. You know, it, it flies like a field point type deal, uh, accuracy and stuff. So, um, and I was just seeing videos and people, you know, the blood trails that people were getting from these things. And I was like, well, I don't want to shoot an expandable. I want to shoot a fixed blade. Cause I'm only, you know, I, you know, I'm only shooting, you know, at 60 pounds, you know, I'm shooting an elite. Um, so I don't want to, you know, it, my setup is not ideal for shooting a large cut expandable broadhead. So, but I didn't want to shoot anything that's a super tiny diameter either. So I, I figured this was like a happy medium and, uh, you know, just from the reviews and stuff that I saw and I actually kind of started shooting them, I guess what, maybe three years ago. Um, yeah, I, I just saw, you know, just saw the blood trails and, and t after talking to him and, you know, he's like, Hey, maybe you should try them out or whatever. Um, I got me and my buddy who I got into archery at the time, he just got into it about three years ago and he was setting everything up and I said, well, I'm going to try these broadheads out and why don't you, you know, why don't you go ahead and try them out too? And, you know, we'll just, we'll see how they work. Um, they seem promising. So that's kind of, that's kind of the backstory of why I decided to go with them. So why did, why did you decide to stop using mechanicals? Um, cause I'm only, I, I'm a short draw guy. I'm only about like a 26 and a half inch draw. I'm not a, a real tall guy or anything. So, and I'm only shooting 60 pounds and it's just, um, it, it I, I didn't want to be, I know the cuts are good, um, on those mechanicals, but it, it wasn't something that I feel like my setup was conducive for i i, I didn't want to go out there and shoot a you know one of these giant cut mechanical broadheads and not get sufficient penetration um, penetration is my big thing you know i'm shooting not a not a super heavy arrow i mean it's a little over it's maybe like 410 grains or something like that um, in easton full metal jacket so i wanted something that that penetrates well and um and i just it you know, just going with an expandable was some a risk that I wasn't willing to take with my setup. Now, if I was shooting maybe a 29-inch draw at 70 pounds or something like that, then I would feel a lot more comfortable with it. But I just I just wanted to go with a fixed blade because I felt like that would be a better option option for me that would um, be more effective. So you were thinking that uh, you were going to lose some energy the, of the arrow if yeah, you were shooting a mechanical. Yeah, okay. I just don't think that I have, you know, I didn't want to lose that and, and then end up getting, not getting a pass through or something like that. Cause you know, I've seen it happen on a numerous people who aren't, they're just not shooting. Uh, they're not, they're not shooting enough. There's not enough kinetic energy there to, to get that expandable, to, to penetrate, open up and, you know, get through, get through that animal. And, um, I'm not knocking anybody that, that uses expandables. I mean, I got a lot of friends that use expandables and that's all, that's all they want to use and it works for them. But it's, uh, it wasn't something that I, I was willing to take that risk on. I, I would just rather, uh, 
used this setup and it's been working great for me. So um, I don't foresee myself, you know, going to an expandable anytime soon. Gotcha. All right. So, you know, it looks to me and I'm on their website and I forget what, how many they actually have. It looks to me like they currently only have four different kinds of broadheads, four different styles. Um, let's see. No, actually they have three different kinds. It looks like three different styles. Of well, broadhead. yeah, they have the original, um, and that comes in a hundred grain and 125 grain. And yep. that's what I use. And then they have that new diamond back that just came out. And that's like their, their true fixed blade where, you know, the blades, if you're familiar with Ramcat, which, you know, obviously you are, but you know, those blades are made to rotate backwards and then back cut. If you don't get a pass through, um, that the new broadhead doesn't do that. It's basically just like, you know, your muzzy or something like that. And then they have the single bevel grind, which I actually shot a deer with this year. That's what I shot my deer with um, this year because I wanted to try that out. Because the only reason I tried that out was because it fit in my quiver a little better. Uh, the Ramcats have a have kind of um, a history of not fitting in a lot of quivers, and that's why a lot of guys don't use them. And Ramcat makes their own quiver that is specifically made for those broadheads. But it's a nice quiver, but it's just way too heavy. Um, I, I have a friend that has it, and it, it is a nice quiver, but it's – it, it's re, it's really well made, but it's also extremely heavy. So, um, what about? So I tried to sink. What about those uh, those uh, heads are awkward for quivers. The the blades are just. It's almost like if you had an expandable, and and locked it open. You know what I mean. Right. And then tried to put that in your in your quiver. Then obviously you know you're going to have clearance issues. Um, it's just the design of how the blades sweep backwards, but they, but they're long. So whenever you go to put them in your quiver, they, they don't really clear a lot of, a lot of quivers. You know what I mean? They, they'll, they'll hit the outside of your quiver and then you kind of have to like index them and like, and turn them just right to get in there. But now I, I have an elite quiver and, and they fit in there. So, I mean, it takes a little bit of coursing, but I can get them, get them all the way in there. So there are quivers on the market that you can make work or you could take the foam out of your quiver and then, you know, that might work. Uh, it just depends on which quiver you're using, but it wasn't enough for me to say, no, I'm not going to shoot these broadheads because they're not ideal for my quiver. I just, I just make them work. But the single bevel grind is a smaller cut and they fit great in pretty much any quiver you're going to have. And uh, I shot a deer with it this year and I got the same results. So. All right. So did you have to do, you know, from your field points to your broadheads, did you have to do any type of uh, sight adjustments or any adjustments on your uh, uh, your rest once you put no. your broadheads on? No. I, 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 I shot, um, I don't know, I shot probably four or five arrows and field points, went, pulled them out, put the, uh, put the broadheads on there, um, shot them back into the target, and they were all right there. I mean, you could stack them on top of each other. And for me, at 20 yards, um, that's that's saying something. That's that's pretty good. You know, that's uh, that that's another reason I didn't get get into a lot of other broadheads because you run into the the issues. I don't, I don't want to have to move my sight all around um, too much every time I you know switched from my field points back to my broadheads and and stuff like that. But uh, they they make the claim that it flies like a field point and 
and they they really do. They fly extremely well. Um, it, you know, everybody's setup's different. You may have to make some adjustments uh, depending on what arrows you're using or, or you know, what veins or, or whatever it is. But um, I haven't had to make any changes. Um, you know, I, I guess people are, you know, want to be hyper accurate and, and get, get really far, far into it than, you know, maybe they would. But, but for me, uh, I'm not shooting a deer over 30 yards and, you know, whenever I shoot them at the, you know, you know, during the summer or whatever, and, and they're hitting right where my fuel points are at, that's, that's plenty for me. And so far the deer I've shot with them, it, they've all been right on the money. So I can Have, say uh, there's, there's probably something to that claim. So, and the reason, this is what I think of when I talk about broadheads, you know, we all, we all know that if you put any broadhead on the market where it's supposed to go, you know, the heart, the lungs, the liver, you're going to kill a, a deer. Now it's the marginal shots that are for me anyway, are, are the ones that you want to, where the broadhead shines, whether it's, you know, buried into right. a shoulder bone or, you know, it's a, it's a gut shot or maybe uh, like a, a hind quarter shot, you know, and, and you want it to do as much damage as humanly possible. What kind of damage, I mean, do you have any experience with maybe having a bad shot on a deer or what's the blood, what's the damage look like? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this, that going back to, I told you, I got my buddy, um, you know, into archery and, and I said, here, put these, you know, put these broadheads on there. And he shot his first deer with a, with one. Uh, he actually shot a deer with it before I did, uh, whenever we first got them. Cause we, uh, you know, we got them at the same time. So, uh, he actually shot a doe with it. It was his first deer, um, first deer, first archery deer. And, um, she was quartered away pretty good. And I think he misjudged it and, you know, rushed the shot. He shot all the way through that deer from the hind quarter all the way through the deer. And it came out the other side and, and passed through it. And, uh, she didn't go very far. So it, I mean, for it to be able to shoot through the entire length of a deer, um, I'd say that's, you know, I was like, wow, maybe, maybe there is something to these things. So then later that season, I shot one with it and it, it just looked like, I haven't had one go out of sight yet, but I've seen them all drop. Every one of them that I've shot with them has, has fallen over. Um, the one I shot this year, it was a, it was a good shot, but it was marginal. Uh, it was a little high. Um, it passed through, it didn't completely pass through. It buried in the offside shoulder all the way to the fletching. Um, that deer went 12 yards and fell over. Um, the deer I shot with it before that, the doe I shot, um, she probably went like 50 yards and fell over and it looked like somebody opened up a, a can of paint, you know, red paint and just walked it up to where the deer was there. There was hardly any blood left in the deer when I found her because it just, she just bled out. She just poured out. Gotcha. Now, how was the, how were the broadheads after the shot? Were they built tough to where you probably could have shot them again if you wanted to, um, any, I don't know, damage to the head itself? Uh, there was no damage to the furl. Um, that thing's built like a tank. I mean, uh, I I think, you know, I've accidentally shot that thing through um, like a fence post once when I missed the target. Uh, my friend shot one through a, a small tree. Um, no damage to the, the furl itself. Um, see, a lot of people complained about the blades bending. Um, they kind of remedied that by the blades used to come to a point, a complete point at the end. And now they've kind of like 45 them. Um, so that, that 
that really, really, really thin point at the end of the broadhead uh, where the blade comes back, like towards the fletching area, that that blade was bending because it was extremely thin there. So they, they've kind of remedied that by just cutting a little bit of it and, and, and angling it so it gives it a little bit more, um, I guess, structural rigidity or whatever. Um, I, I mean, I've shot them through, then I haven't had a problem with the, be- the, the blades being bent. Um, I'm kind of anal about it. Um, I could have shot another deer with it, but I usually just replace the blades on them after I shoot them. But could, do you have to? No, but you know, you pass through a deer and it, and it hits a rock or it hits, you know, it buries in the, in the ground and there's a rock in there. Or there's a, you know, a, 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 maybe a dead log or something like that, that, that it's going into, you know, logic tells you that you should probably replace that if it's, if it's not going to be at optimum performance um, the next time around, um, that's just erring on the side of caution. But um, the deer I've shot with them, I haven't like had like a blade like break off, like it it wasn't on the broadhead after I shot the deer, or it was all bent up or anything. Uh, they're actually a lot stronger than I think some people have have given them credit for, and um, I, I think you could absolutely reuse them um, if that's something that that you wanted to do. But for the price of replacement blades, I always keep them with me and. I'll just throw a new set of replacement blades on there and, and then the furl is always good to go and it's still sharp. So that's, that's the most important part of the broadhead, I guess, because that's what's making contact first. So you want that to be sharp as well. So what about the uh, replacement blades for a second? Is it, is it easy to replace the blades? What do you need to replace the blades? Um, It just comes with an Allen. Uh, It's an Allen head. There's, I believe three Allen heads in that, um, in the furrow itself, um, you just loosen them up. They are, um, I mean, it's a really, really, really little screw. And I believe those broadheads actually, or the, the, the blades actually come with the Allen wrench. So, um, you know, you could buy the pack, take it out, use the Allen wrench, a couple turns and your blades out. I mean, you could replace the blades and, you know, I don't know, a minute or two, something like that. Okay. And they're, uh, fairly sharp, eh? Yeah, yeah, they're sharp. I mean, you want to be careful with them. I mean, they'll they'll cut your string, of, or you you'll cut yourself with them. So, I mean, uh, it, it, I was a you know I was pretty impressed with how sharp the back of the blade is because you know like they're designed to fold up and then you know cut on the way back out, and it's just as sharp on the back side of that broadhead as it is on the front side. So that's a that's another thing. Whenever you're handling them, you got to kind of be a little careful because you don't you're not handling a blunt end on the back side of it that's a that's a blade as well so right you, you know you don't want to cutting yourself with it now i don't know or not are, are these illegal are these illegal in any states that you know of or are they illegal in all the states um from my understanding is they are i believe they're legal in all the states okay. um some people might have considered them a barbed broadhead because of the the folding action of the blades. Yeah. Um, but I but not in Pennsylvania. So that was, you know, any any state that I hunt, um, they weren't illegal in. So that was like kind of all I was concerned about. Okay. So that brings us to the question: um, How much how much did you pay for them? Um, I think I paid like forty bucks for a pack of three. Okay. And that's, I think that's the going rate for, um, all of them. And no matter, I don't think it matters. I mean, don't quote me on that, but I don't think it matters if you get, 
the 125 grain or if you get the, the standard or whatever or or if you buy the single bevel grinds i i believe they're all the same price i don't think there's if there is a difference it's pretty marginal maybe five dollars or something right i'm on their website right now and it looks like of all their web of all their broadheads the cheapest is 399 for a pack of three or 39.99 excuse me and the most expensive is that diamond back with $42.49. So there's real, Okay, yeah, that might be the new one that yeah. came out they're probably charging a little more for it. Yeah, there's roughly a, a $2.50 difference there. So All right. So you recommend these as well? Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for a fixed blade broadhead, um I know some some of the people out there don't want to shoot them because they're like, "Oh, well the blades fold and and this and that and you you know what I mean? Um but you really can't you can't deny what they do i mean i've had excellent blood trails i haven't seen a deer not fall over that i've shot with it um the the people that i put onto the the broadheads have shot deer with them and they've had great success so um i actually got two friends that i turned on to them and they've both shot deer with them they've both recovered them and they both had good blood trails so um it's something I've seen personally I've used. It's, it's not just, Hey, I, I use these broadheads and you know, they worked for me, but um, I I've seen other people shoot deer with them and they, and they've worked as well. So um, I'm, I'm a firm believer in them and they fly well. Um, they're the price point on them is pretty much the same as, you know, any other broadhead that you're going to get. And uh, if you're looking for a fixed blade broadhead that that flies well and, and really does some damage, uh, that, that that's a company that you need to look into, I think. Perfect. 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 All right. Let's see here. Um, I just really, when I talked to the guy on the podcast that the reason that their tips have that, those three or four depressions in them, the three depressions and how that's supposed to make like a pocket of air. I, I think that's what he was saying. A pocket of air that helps with the penetration. That was kind of, a cool technology that I'd never really, you know, witnessed before. It kind of makes a little uh, a shockwave kind of deal. If that yeah, makes it's sense. like a hydrofoil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and if you if you look at a deer that you shoot with them, you can you can definitely see it. I mean, it'll put. It, you can actually see where the fur is actually kind of like lifted away from the from the skin. Like, you know, you have your fur and then obviously the skin's there, but it almost separates it. Like whenever you, when you look at the hole, it, it almost like folds it in two pieces, you know? And, and then obviously wherever you shoot it at, um, you know, it, it, you can actually see the hole and it's in the shape of the, of the broadhead usually. So. Okay. Well, you recommend this good product to be honest with you. I, I don't know what broadhead I'm going to be using uh, this fall because um, I am going to. I'm, I'm probably going to stick with a fixed blade, just because there's a chance that I might go out west, and uh, Idaho does not allow mechanical broadheads. So there's no point in the way I look at it is if mechanical broadhead, I have to tune my bow for mechanicals, and if for some reason there's uh, um, you know, a change in even, even a little bit of a change when I put on a fixed blade, I don't want to have to do that after 
a specific hunt. So I'm going to stick with a, a fixed blade broadhead. And uh, I, one of the companies, other, let's see, I was looking at Slick Trick again. I shot those last year. I liked how they performed. But I'm kind of the guy when it comes to broadheads. I'm, I almost feel like they're all going to do a decent job if, if you place them where they're supposed to be placed. But the other one I was looking at was, was Ramcat. So I'm not sure what brand I'm going to go with. There's still a lot of time before I need to start worrying about what broadheads I need to shoot. But uh, these guys are definitely on one of my, I guess – one of my lists to take a look at. Yeah. Try them out and take a look at them and, and see what you think of them. There's some videos online that you can look and, and they're shooting, you know, African big game with them and it's just blowing holes through them. So, nice. I mean, if it, if it'll work on something that big, I'm, I'm pretty confident it's going to work, you know, on a well-placed shot on a whitetail. Right. Right. All right. All right. So we're done with that. Now the next one was the extinguisher. And that's a game call, right? Yes, that's correct. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what this uh, what this extinguisher is? It's a, a grunt tube. Yeah, it's a grunt tube. Um, so like I was telling you earlier, I don't like carrying a bunch of stuff with me in the woods. Um, this does, you know, fawn, doe, and and buck all in the same call just by sliding the. Um, there's just a little slide on it that you, you know, you slide it to wherever your desired area is or whatever, you know, noise it is you want to make, you want to do a bleed, or if you want to, you know, do a buck grunt, but you want to, you know, you can slide it a little further and the, the grunt will be deeper. So that, that was nice for me. Cause then I don't have to carry a bleak, bleak call with me and stuff like that. So that's just one other thing I don't have to take with me. Wait a um, second. I'm sorry for interrupting, but I, I just went to their website and the name of the company is, that makes the extinguisher is called Illusion – is it Illusion Game Calls? Yes. Okay. They also make the Black Rack. Yeah, I think there was a combo that you could get with the Black Rack and that. Um, that's something that I wouldn't use. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, but the Game Calls are – I'm telling you, the – the extinguisher, it, it's the best one that I've used, and I've used a few of them, and I've, I've tried them out trying to, you know, get one that that really worked well, and and this one really performs well. The the nice thing about it is, like I was saying, you could you could slide that to doe, you could slide it to buck, you know, you could do a fawn. Well, the nice thing about that is, if you've ever you've been hunting, you know, and you've been using your your call when it's cold outside, those reeds they freeze up. Right. And then you go to blow it and then it sounds like a, you know, a duck or something, you know, comes out of there, some crazy noise. Well, the the nice thing about that is when you slide that reed up and down that little button, that actually breaks any frost that gets on there. So you don't have any more of that accidental, you know, duck sounding call whenever you're you're calling and when it's cold outside. Right, right. So I'll be I'll be honest with the for grunt tubes I'm kind of anal I I had the same grunt tube I couldn't even tell you what brand it was it was just a black tube it's all it was all rubber and I used that grunt tube it was the very first grunt tube I ever uh, purchased and it was 
like 12 years. I had it for roughly 10 or 10 or 12 years. And it sounded absolutely perfect until the reed finally broke after 12 years of usage. Now, I don't know, a deer make so many, like a grunt, there's deer out there that make a, you know, like a, like real deep. And then there's others that sound like a, I don't know, like a, you know, a grunt. I mean, uh, an actual a, a male deer can make a, a wide range of calls. Right. Does this offer a wide range of, and I'm not talking, I know that a doe bleat and a fawn are going to be on the, the lighter end, but does right. this offer a big guttural grunt? Yeah, you can get deep. You can get deep with it if you need to, or you can go, like you said, you could go on the lighter end of it. Uh, you don't want to sound maybe as aggressive or, or whatever. It, it'll do all of that. And uh, the, the thing that sold me on it was uh, a friend had sent me a video of, this, of the guy. Um, I don't know if, if it was the owner or if it was someone, um, I don't know, one of these like deer calling champion type guys, whatever. And he was, and they had an infield video and it was, I, I think it might be, cause it comes with a DVD that explains how to use it, which yeah. I didn't watch, but, um, but it, he was demonstrating in this video, how many different sounds this thing will make and, and how to use it effectively to effectively call deer, not just, um, you know, Hey, there's a deer and then I'm just going to blow this grunt tube and then hope that, you know, some noise that came out of this thing, uh, he responds to, um, the, the video, the guy calling it, I mean, he, you know, he put this deer through its paces. I mean, the deer would go to leave and he'd get it called back and, you know, he eventually called this mature deer and, uh, using it. And I was just really impressed by the fact that it, it made a wide variety of not only calls and sounds from doe and, and does and fawns, but, um, how realistic it sounded and how deep you could get with it. And, you know, you could also go lighter on it too as well. So that, that was a big deal to me because I didn't, the last call that I had was, it was either loud or that was it. And there was really kind of, kind of no in between with it. And, and I didn't really like that. So I didn't really use it. So this year I had been using this for, I used it this season and the season before, but this year, um, I was in a stand with my friend. Uh, we had a double, uh, double set hung and, um, this buck came out and it was about 90 yards away and, you know, he wasn't coming our way and, uh, you know, he was shooting and I, and I was sitting. So I figured, well, all right, we'll just go ahead and grunt to him. And, um, you know, we got his attention and, and I was able to get that deer through a couple different, you know, tones of grunts to get that deer to come all the way from 90 yards all the way to six yards where he shot the deer. So, and it was pretty cool. It was a velvet buck that, you know, he shot it in October and it was still in velvet. So, so did it, I mean, do you get an opportunity to use it, um, throughout your, I mean, did you buy that this season or season you had before. It, oh, so season you've had before. it for two seasons now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Were you able to witness any, or all of like, did you ever try it out on some does or did, do you strictly just use it on bucks? And if so, what were their reactions while you were using it? I mean, were, were you able to, you know, get a deer to come in to shooting, you know, shooting range with it? 
be you know, strictly well, because of that. Yeah, that the deer that we called in uh, this past season uh, strictly came because of that grunt. Okay, and there right. was there was nothing else that he was he came out of the thicket, um, crossed the power line, and he was he we ranged it after the fact, and he was ninety yards away, and he was going to go back up over the hill. So I hit him with a really loud like like a really loud grunt just so you would hear it and he heard it and then you know after that we just you know just started grunting at him a little more and and just kind of judging by you know how he felt about it um was was what you know the type of you know how the grunt i was going to give him and and uh you know we got him all the way in from 90 yards to the base of the tree and just just using that that particular grunt i mean there wasn't wasn't anything else that we used so um he, he wasn't a mature deer but I mean, he wasn't a, a year and a half year old either. I think he was maybe, maybe like a two and a half. But the reason why he wanted to shoot him was because uh, it was October and the buck was still in velvet, so he actually didn't have any testicles or anything. So it was kind of a cool buck that he was after, and it was really cool that you know I could I could use that. That's the first deer that I'd ever called in to to get that close. Um, you know, I've used used it before. You know, calls before you know, trying to get deer, you know, during the rut or whatever to kind of turn around and come check it out. But that was the first deer that I could say the sole reason that deer came to that tree was because of that grunt call. Nice. Well, is it, I mean, is it made, uh, from a construction standpoint, you know, there's, there's some stuff out there that's kind of cheap, but, uh, is it made, quality when you hold it in your hands as you've used it for two years i mean is it something that you think is going to last for another five years for you yeah because it's a really basic design really and that's another thing i kind of liked about it um i had i had um the last call i was using was kind of like the same thing it was um it was a flex tone and it did the um like the the end that you would blow in looked like um, like a piece of bone. I don't know if you've ever seen that one before. And it does that. And it had like a D F and B on it. So where you press down on that reed, it would make a different, a different sound. You could do a fawn, you could do a buck or whatever, but it was incredibly inconsistent. And I just didn't have good luck with it. So I just didn't use it that often. Um, but this one is actually just a really basic design. I mean, the tube is just looks like a piece of uh, rubber almost so there's nothing to go wrong with that and it's a really slim profile design and i haven't had any problems with the reed sticking or it making any kind of um awkward sound and i don't just use it whenever i'm in the woods like you know I'll, I, I like to play around with it and try to you know become more effective using it so i'll use it during the off season and you know just try it out or whatever and and two seasons and it hasn't given me any problems yet and i mean nothing's really come off of it it's it's a pretty basic design so i don't think there's anything that could really go wrong and other than saying like you know you had a call for 12 years and the reed finally went bad um i think um i think they actually sell replacement reeds for them so if if you were to have i guess if you had an issue with it you could you could replace it instead of having to buy a whole new call right right i just know i looked I looked forever to try to find that, and I think it was just they stopped making it probably because they weren't making money off some kind of uh, celebrity endorsement or something like that off of it. Well, they could have – you could have endorsed it, and then they could just come back out with it. <laughs> yeah, me endorse something. That's funny. <laughs> this is nine-finger approved. 
I don't know. It might work if you kill a big one this year. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I tell you what. Hey, Frank, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, wait. So do you recommend the extinguisher? Deer call. Yeah, I would. I would okay. say that it, it, it hasn't let me down. And I mean, if you're, it, it's a, if you're looking for a game call that kind of does it all, you kind of want to leave your bleat because the bleats do sound really realistic too. Um, and I, I don't like carrying around that, that stupid call with me. I mean, I know a lot, a lot of guys like that thing, but I, I don't know. It makes noise whenever you don't want it to make noise. And, and then sometimes it, it just doesn't sound right. I, I would just rather have something that I don't have to dig through. I don't have to hang it up anywhere. Just everything is right on that tube. And if I want it to make a, if I want to make a bleat with it, I'll make a bleed with it and I can slide it down. I can, I can grunt with it too. So um, if you're, if you're looking to kind of consolidate and that's, you know, you want to kind of pack light a run and gun type deal thing and you're concerned with what you're taking in the woods, I'd say that's, that might be a, you know, a good option to look into. All righty. Sounds good. Well, I tell you what, start, I'll do this again. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time reviewing these products. You went three for three, all good things to say about all three products. Um, it's good, like, you know, the whole point of this is to hear what average Joes have to say about these, uh, you know, about these products and, you know, get some more information to the, to you, the listener of what it is that, uh, you know, if you're kind of torn between products. So thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me, Dan. Boom goes the dynamite. There we go. We're done. We got another podcast in the books. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks, Frank, for uh, taking time to review those products with us, sharing that information. Hopefully, all the listeners out there were able to uh, maybe find some of it useful and it helped them in making a decision uh, or for a positive or negative, uh, for, uh, purchasing a product that they needed. Other than that, huge shout out to Exodus trail cameras for, uh, sponsoring the show. And, uh, like I said, thank you guys for tuning in again, 2% for conservation. Go check it out. Fishandwildlife.org. Get as much information as you need. And remember guys, there's people out there that are trying to take away our rights, not only to the public land, but to hunting as well. And 2% for conservation is a way we can help uh, fight that. So take a look. Other than that, simple one, one podcast this week. We got a, a huge lineup coming up the rest of July. Uh, stay tuned for Monday. I will be uh, launching a podcast that I did with uh, Fred Eichler. He's like, uh, he's a stud in the hunting industry. And uh, other than that, have a good rest of your week. Have a good weekend. Spend some time with your family. Go out and enjoy Mother Nature. Blah, 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 blah. Wear your damn safety harness. <laughs>